Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is July the 6th, 2018. Two days past the celebration this year of America's birthday. I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July celebration, uh, enjoying the festivities, and perhaps giving thought as to what a wonderful country we are fortunate enough to live in but a country that is increasingly coming under attack by anarchists. There's just no other way of describing it, and we'll get to that momentarily. For those of you uh, who are familiar with me, familiar with the program, know that ever since 9-11, I have been determined to provide as many of my fellow Americans and as many of our alleged leaders with the truth about the true nature of America's borders, America's immigration laws, not based on conjecture, but based on my 30-year career with what was the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS. Uh, I had the broadest possible view of the issue. I was an immigration inspector. I spent four years doing that at Kennedy Airport, spent a year as an adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews, and then I became a special agent and rotated through every single squad within the investigations branch, became the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. I then spent the next 10 years as a senior special agent assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. Uh, Throughout my career, I've enforced and administered a broad spectrum of immigration laws. I arrested people who were working illegally in factories. I arrested people working on farms and criminals and fugitives and terrorists drug traffickers, pedophiles. Um, There were some mornings, frankly, I woke up and felt as though I was the human trash collector. And before people get their nose out of joint, I'm not talking about the typical, as people think of it, illegal alien who have no, and I'll use the word apparent, criminal history, because often what I did find were people who had menial jobs working in factories and so forth, did so because they were wanted in other countries or wanted in this country for committing terrible crimes, including murder. So during the day and and so forth, people who are fugitives still have to earn a living, still have to feed themselves, and still want to hide in plain sight. How do you do that? You go to a job and you keep a low profile. That, in fact, is how terrorists operate uh, after World War II. That's how Nazi uh, dirtbags, war criminals entered America and were hiding in plain sight. Some became United States citizens. The division of the Justice Department, the Nazi hunters, went out looking for these bums who had managed to conceal themselves as a woven thread in the amazing tapestry that is America. But the average so-called illegal alien with no known criminal history, uh, I don't consider trash. I often consider them, in fact, to be as much victimized by the lunacy of globalism as are Americans who've lost their jobs and perhaps uh, their safety because we won't secure our borders, not because we can't, but we won't. 
Immigration, as I pointed out earlier today, I was at One American News Network. It will be airing at 8 o'clock East Coast time this evening, the Daily Ledger. I'm very pleased that I've become something of a regular contributor to One American News Network, both on the Graham Ledger program and on their uh, broad spectrum of broadcasting on the news. Uh, You know, I, I keep trying to get people to understand that the immigration system isn't broken. You might think it is. The politicians might tell you that it is. But in point of fact, the immigration system needs to be thought of not as a law enforcement bureaucracy, but as a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and for the immigration lawyers out there, an unlimited supply of clientele. And that includes members of Congress. You have key people in the House of Representatives and Senate who are immigration attorneys on both sides of the aisle. Believe me, they don't want to interfere with that flood of clients heading across the border. That is their livelihood. That is the way they make their money. If you interfere with that, then you're interfering with their livelihoods. They have no problem interfering with other people's livelihoods. But don't you dare mess with theirs. Uh, and, And so that's where we are today. And now, of course, the craziness of anarchists calling for the dismemberment, dismantling of ICE. Incredibly, some of them take on the appearance of so-called, whatever that means, mainstream Democrats. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat, but I really stopped thinking of them as mainstream. Uh, I'm not so sure the Republicans are mainstream either, by the way. I have plenty of anger and resentment for both parties. But what I resent the most are these um, seditionist calls for attacking members of the administration, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's cabinet officials, that we're hearing from the likes of Maxine Waters and some of her so-called playmates. The First Amendment is an amendment that I'm uh, eager to practice. I do this program because of it. I appear whenever and wherever I can. Yesterday I was on the Laura Ingram program, the um, uh, Ingram Angle. I was on her show a week ago as well celebrating my First Amendment right. But what seems to have been forgotten is the word peaceable assemblage, that parcel with the right to have meetings peaceably. Don't go out there threatening people. Don't go out there violently. Don't go out there like that thug who took a teenage boy's Make America Great Again hat, if you saw it on Fox News. I don't even know if the other networks covered it. And then dumped a soda in the kid's face. He was arrested, but remarkably, the Democrats who are all about no bullying, no bullying, we're too fragile, we, we can't bully us, don't stand up. If someone does something, run for help. You know, this whole mystique about being helpless and hopeless and no bullying, right? Well, when the bullying is done against someone they don't like, then suddenly they're ecstatic. You see, and that's the real problem that we have, the desire by America's enemies, by democracy's enemies, if you will, who want to shut down free speech unless you're advocating for their position and it doesn't work that way. That's not how democracy functions. That's not how a democratic republic is to be governed. And increasingly, those strident voices from the Democratic Party, this is the new Democratic Party, make no mistake. It is strident. It is ugly. 
It is about attacking people verbally, intimidating people. Get your way at all and any costs. Folks, that is not what this country was built on. That's not what America stands for. That's certainly not what the First Amendment is about. And in America, we need to develop a stand-your-ground philosophy, and I'm not talking about firearms. I don't want any violence, none of that. But when someone confronts you and proves to you they're stupid, and I know my mom, may she rest in peace, used to always admonish me and say, there's no sense to winning an argument with an idiot, it's still important that we push back verbally with facts, with logic, against those people who would undermine our country's security and survival, because no less than that is at stake. A country without borders, as I've written in the past, can no more stand than can a house without walls. Our borders are our first and last line of defense, and they don't just, the border doesn't just exist along the U.S.-Mexican border, but it exists along the northern border that we share with Canada. It exists along America's 95,000 miles of coastline. Our border also exists at international airports. And so we have people calling for the dismantling of ICE. We're going to terminate ICE, no more deportation, no more immigration law enforcement. So I I want to point you in the direction of a couple of articles that I've written uh, for Front Page Magazine. One, Immigration Anarchists versus National Security. The subtitle, Dismantling ICE Would Lower America's Shields in a Dangerous Era. And a couple days earlier, I wrote the obverse of that how ICE plus local police cooperation are a winning formula. So please understand something. First of all, we're going to dispel the myths. That's the purpose for the show, to be a mythbuster. I don't use dynamite the way the mythbusters on TV did. But let's blow up the myths. Advocating for secure borders and effective but fair immigration law enforcement is not, not, I repeat, not an anti-immigrant posture. Calling for secure borders and effective immigration law enforcement, this may be a shocker, is a pro-enforcement posture. The notion of it being anti-immigrant is a lie, but that's the game being played by the immigration anarchists. And that's what I call the other side. They're not pro-immigrants. The immigrants are at greatest risk within their ethnic immigrant communities by transnational criminals from their own country of their own ethnicity who come to America to ply their trades whether they're drug traffickers, gang members, organized crime, disorganized crime, whatever. And we see this in every race, religion, ethnicity, because human beings are human beings. No matter the person's skin color, we all bleed red. No matter the person's skin color, each group in America has the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is not a one-side one-sided situation this isn't about latinos versus asians versus no 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 folks as human beings um we can point to shining examples of individuals in every race ethnicity religion within each one of those groups shining examples of brilliance compassion achievement and we could show depravity in each one of those groups every one of those groups have a criminal and a sociopathic element as well as the high achievers, because this is human nature. People are people. So when we hear the nonsense that if you want secure borders, you're xenophobic, I'm not. If you want to say I'm a nativist, now that's an interesting term that seems to be applied. If you're a nativist, you want to put Americans first. Well, you know what? If that's 
the case, folks, I stand guilty as charged. I believe that countries ought to look out for their own citizens before they worry about the citizens of other countries. I'm a parent, and I can assure you that my priorities, as my children were growing up, was to make them my number one priority, human nature. If, God forbid, there's a catastrophe, there's um, a fire, something terrible happened, when people go running to the school, who do they go run to see first? Not their neighbor's child, uh, unless their neighbor's child is there and their kids aren't. But if their children are in that school, I assure you, every parent who's racing to that school, first and foremost in their mind, is how their child is, if their child is alive, if their child is uninjured. Normal human nature. We're being told that you're xenophobic if we worry more about American kids who are starving, American kids who are falling victim to narcotics, American kids who drop out of school. We should be more concerned about our fellow Americans and people from around the world. That's why countries have armies to protect the interests of the nation and of its citizens if they are truly free countries. America's might is supposed to first and foremost protect America and Americans. Now, the open borders crowd would accuse me of nativism, and I'd look them square in the eye and say, you're damn right I am, and I'm proud of it. I have common sense. Uh, When you could see how many American children living below the poverty line. That should disturb us. When you look at this business about the children who were taken from their parents because they attempted entry illegally into the United States and all this breastfeeding and all of the wailing and the radio programs, the television programs, oh, my God, they separated the children. We're going to get them psychological counseling because they've been traumatized for life. Well, maybe they were traumatized for life. They can thank their parents for bringing them here illegally. Actions have consequences. Maybe those parents should lose permanent custody of their children uh, if they truly endangered their survival. Maybe they're not fit parents. In America, we take children out of the homes when it's determined that their parents are not fit. How many times have you seen stories about somebody who leaves a a child in a car unattended and gets arrested and the police come and they put the child into the care of child welfare if there are no other relatives who could take care of the child because they want to make sure that they're not going to put that kid back into the same house and come back three weeks later and find the child is either dead or grievously injured. How many times have we seen situations where children are beaten or scalded or starved to death And immediately the neighbors say, why didn't they take the child out of that house? Those parents were beating the child. Those children were malnourished. If you looked at them, they were skinny as as skeletons. Well, routinely, child welfare is supposed to separate children from their parents if the parents pose a a threat to the safety and well-being of the child. Anybody who would put a child in the care, so-called, of alien traffickers, alien smugglers, needs to be questioned as to fitness as a parent. We also need to make certain that the parent is really a parent, that someone didn't simply kidnap a child or borrow a child, maybe at gunpoint, because they knew that if they came to America with a child, they wouldn't go to jail. 
you know, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine that I write a lot for Front Page. I write for the social contract. But I wrote an article recently, and I said that a child is not a substitute for a visa. The policy of releasing adults when they are accompanied by illegal alien children into the United States simply encourages more children to be brought here at great risk to their survival. There are places along the U.S.-Mexican border where you're dealing with temperatures in excess of 120 degrees, no water, poisonous insects, poisonous snakes. Children die. Adults die under those circumstances. So how in the world is it unreasonable to say, look, we've got to stop this? Trump's zero policy on illegal immigration wasn't zero policy on keeping families united. It was zero policy on facilitating the entry of terrorists and criminals into the United States. It was centered on preventing the smuggling of children into the United States. And, you know, it's just so remarkable, folks. I want you to think about it. The Dreamers and DACA and all that other false narrative, you know, these are all children. We keep hearing it from the media. They're all children. They came as children. We don't know that. Because aliens could apply to participate in DACA who are in their mid-30s today, in their mid-30s. And if you run the border, no record is created of your entry. And what nobody is talking about in the news media is that when you process hundreds of thousands of applications, as we did with the initial DACA bunch, there were virtually no interviews or field investigations. So that means it's easy to lie and get away with it. The way that the IRS knows when people file a bogus tax return is when auditors go over the return and investigators, agents go out and, and, and make inquiries and they find out some guy was working off the books. Or they find out that restaurants were hiding receipts, you know. Um, the, the restaurant is packed and they were doing a cash business and so there were no records of money going into their bank accounts. All kinds of chicanery happens. What's the antidote? To have agents out there who can do criminal investigations. That's why agents are criminal investigators. In fact, when I first became an INS criminal investigator, that was our title. They didn't even say special agent, and then they changed the title to special agent so that it was compliant with other agencies who similar, who hired similar employees, whether it was the FBI, Secret Service, DEA, ATF, and so, so forth. But you conduct a criminal investigation to make certain that the people aren't filing false tax returns or lying about other material facts and government-related issues. Similarly, immigration has a need for such agents, but it is a need that has never truly been met. Now, this isn't an accident. The key to effective immigration law enforcement, I will tell you, is not the wall on the border, although we need it. I, I don't want you at the end of the program to say, boy, that guy Cutler's nuts. He doesn't think we need to build a wall. No, we've got to reinforce that border. This, this isn't an if. It's a definite. But this is America, and we have to be able to rub our bellies and pat our heads simultaneously. You know, and I've used this, this analogy before. I'll use it again. Uh, I've been blessed to meet some truly Ameri amazing Americans across this country ever since 9-11 when I began my journey to wake up America and Americans. And one of my friends, who I'm very proud to call a friend, is Paul Vallely. Paul Vallely is a retired two-star Army general. And one day we were having a discussion, he and I, about strategy. Now, I know nothing about military strategy, and I'm not going to pretend I do. 
Anybody who pretends to know something they don't know is a fool or a liar. I'm neither. But one thing I know from all of my reading, and my first love was aviation. It was the time when I thought I'd be an aerospace engineer. I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. And I said to Paul, you know, the need to coordinate interior enforcement of the immigration laws with the Border Patrol and what we do at ports of entry, what I call the enforcement tripod, to me, seems almost comparable to the reason that our military is so successful because we're able to coordinate our ground troops, the Army troops, with air cover. We've gotten very good with close air support. So to me, by having those two elements mesh perfectly, we're very successful. Ground troops without air cover walk into a buzzsaw. Air without ground troops can't hold territory. So to me, it would seem that those two must be interwoven and choreographed precisely so that our guys don't get killed by the the aircraft and and the aircraft would be able to deliver the knockout blow to go after anybody who would attack our troops on the ground. Well, Paul told me I happen to be right. So that's the analogy that I like to draw upon the need to coordinate interior enforcement with what we do on the border, whether it's land border, seaport, or the spaces between our ports of entry, which is the, the domain of the Border Patrol. We have never had an adequate number of Border Patrol agents, certainly, but of even greater consequence, we've never had enough immigration agents. In fact, when the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, was created, President George W. Bush, it would appear, had in mind the desire to hobble efforts at border security and uh, immigration law enforcement. And uh, there was a hearing in which I participated about the dual missions, about how immigration was messed up because we were doing service, giving out citizenship and asylum and all that other stuff, and doing enforcement. And very often you had people in charge of the adjudications program for benefits who oversaw law enforcement when they themselves were never law enforcement officers. It was a real mess. So that was supposed to be addressed when the Department of Homeland Security was created. But instead, we wound up with, in the words of former chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, John Hostetler from Indiana, uh, enforcement incoherence. And it was so screwed up, and I truly believe that George W. Bush is a globalist. Both parties suffer from this illness. Both parties. This isn't one side or the other, folks. That's why President Trump is getting hammered from both parties. And the only reason I think that the Republicans have finally calmed down is they're seeing the kind of successes that they were hoping for. And I think they've come to the realization that President Trump is a lot more popular than the pollsters would have you believe. I mean, look at the successes. Uh, on the other side, I, I just wish that the president was more nuanced in his language. And I, my degree was in communications. I, I have a BA in BS, as I like to put it. And, and sometimes the language the president uses is not helpful to him and not helpful to anybody. I wish he would be more careful with his choice of words. But there's no arguing that he's been very, very successful. So the Republicans are looking at it and saying, well, we've got the midterm elections. We may as well ride his coattail. But the Democrats are in a feeding frenzy because they know that most people vote their wallet. And the economy's been doing better. Unemployment rates are dropping, but they're not as good as they would have you believe. Because if they can convince the American people that the unemployment problem is over, well, then the logical 
solution is bring in more foreign workers, folks. That's the last thing we need. Just as the all clear hasn't sounded on the war on terror, uh, we're not done yet with an unemployment problem. We still have millions of Americans who are unemployed or underemployed. Big problem. We're moving in the right direction, but, you know, the old joke, are we there yet? And the answer is no, we're not there yet. The administration's trying to do some pretty good stuff. I just wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about how Jeff Sessions did something that was creative, I mean, really creative. He used the authority of immigration to go after an employer that ran a landscaping company and forced the company to make reparations to Americans they swindled out of jobs by applying for visas for foreign workers by committing fraud on those applications. And I've often said that maybe the solution to a lot of this is for American workers to hire lawyers and start suing employers and politicians who cost them their livelihoods. You see? So here we have Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, using that tactic And instead of hiring a law firm, well, he's got the biggest law firm you can imagine. It's called the Justice Department. So when people say, let's dismantle ICE, think of what would happen. Think of the, and I'm just going to look now at the immigration missions. And and one of the problems we have, and one of the problems that John Hostetler had, we share the concern, is that they never should have taken immigration and added it to U.S. Customs. It's Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Why? We needed an agency that single-mindedly focused on immigration law violations, not dilute it. Uh, You know, if you read the uh, Hostetler transcript from that hearing back in 2004, he was so clear, making the point that 9-11 didn't happen because of agriculture law violations or customs law violations. 9-11 happened purely because terrorists were able to gain entry into the United States. That's the realm of immigration, folks. And they were able to embed themselves, hide themselves in plain sight as they went about their deadly preparations. How? By committing more violations of immigration law, applying for political asylum, marrying American citizens, um, getting United States citizenship. And we've seen that happen since 9-11, the Tsarnaev family getting political asylum. Can't go back to Russia. We have a credible fear of persecution, or worse. Yet as soon as we gave them lawful status, what did they do? They went back to Russia. Well, clearly they lied. And then they got green cards. And one of their brothers, one of the sons, one of the brothers, became a U.S. citizen. The other one had some issues that the government was trying to resolve when they attacked the the marathon and killed and maimed so many people on that terrible day back in 2013. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, came on a student visa, became a naturalized citizen, and within a year of getting citizenship, set off a car bomb in Times Square. Fortunately, it fizzled. Instead of going kaboom, it it, it sizzled and fizzled. But if it had gone off, I don't want to imagine how many might have been killed or maimed. This is a dangerous situation. So we know that immigration was the issue. So I'm not going to talk about the other missions for ICE, but just realize it's money laundering, it's kiddie porn, it's narcotics. And by the way, those crimes are addressed on the city, state, and federal level by a variety of law enforcement agencies. Immigration is solely the domain of immigration. And it's so funny because sanctuary cities, on the one hand, uh, they got upset when Arizona tried to pass their own immigration law, and the Supreme Court got involved. And they said, oh, no, the feds have to do it. 
And now they want to make damn sure that the Fed's failure by design. But, but let's take a, a quick guided tour, and, and I'm going to make another observation for you. And you may find this difficult to believe. So let me start out by telling you that traditionally, ever since I started working for the old INS, and I hate to tell you, back in 1971, when you see me on TV, you see all that white and gray hair, it wasn't a bad night's sleep that did it. It's old age, folks. Not that old, but old enough, old enough to know better. The biggest competitor that the investigators for the INS had always was and still is the Border Patrol, believe it or not. Money that was appropriated to the old INS primarily went to the Border Patrol. The emphasis was on the border, secure that border. Part of it was not very bright people in Congress. Um, not a shocker to say it. I mean, there are some smart people there, but a lot of these folks, oh, my goodness. Uh, but the other part was for the Border Patrol, that worked out great. And the politicians loved that photo op where they could stand with a bunch of Border Patrol agents standing behind them, you know, the green machine and their uniforms and the big hats and the whole bit. Holy smoke, look at that team. But again, it's also the single-mindedness. Well, they're coming across the border. Not thinking about the airports, the seaport, border. So the Border Patrol got the new cars. Immigration agents got Border Patrol cars after the Border Patrol beat the hell out of them and put 130,000 miles on them. I had some cars that kind of drove sideways. I don't even want to know what the Border Patrol agents did to those cars. And they all had the same green and white paint scheme. So we would get the Border Patrol cars. The lights and sirens were removed because in the old days we didn't even have lights and sirens in our government cars. And then they'd bring it over to some body shop that would do a $100 paint job on it. And it looked like a $100 paint job because when it rained, the paint's coming off the car. I think they used watercolors because the star of the show was the Border Patrol. They got the money. They got the cars. They got the equipment. They got the publicity. They got the attention. When Clinton was was um, elected president, I remember coming into the office, and we had just arrested a bunch of illegal aliens, including an alien I arrested who had a gun on him. And there was the newspaper headline: Janet Napolitano. I'm sorry, not Janet Napolitano. Janet um, Reno. Goodness, I can't get Napolitano out of my head. It must be a recurring flashback nightmare. Janet Reno, who was the attorney general under the Clinton administration said she couldn't wait to work with law enforcement personnel of the Justice Department. And she enumerated FBI, U.S. Marshals, Drug Enforcement Administration, Border Patrol. Border Patrol? What happened to the immigration agents? We weren't even mentioned. We didn't even get honorable or maybe dishonorable mention. What's an immigration investigator? Jack Shaw had been the head of investigations for INS at headquarters. He was the number one guy came from the FBI, had a law degree, real bright guy. Uh, I, 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 know, I knew Jack. I haven't spoken with him in years. Really bright guy, good leader, very intelligent. He testified at a congressional hearing and said that Doris Meisner, the commissioner, had said that interior enforcement was a term of usage devoid of meaning because it was invented by the special agents. She made damn sure that it was devoid of meaning. And understand why. 
if you are the Chamber of Commerce, the last thing you want to hire are immigration agents. Why? Because one of the things immigration agents might do, especially after the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 86, is fine employers who hire illegal aliens intentionally. So they don't want any agents out there that are digging around in corporate records and making cases against employers. They want the employers to get away with displacing Americans. Americans expect a living wage. Americans are fussy. They won't work in dangerous conditions. Americans expect um, that withholding will be taken out and workman's comp will be taken out. If you could hire an illegal alien, you could get away with all kinds of shenanigans, treat them like trash, put them in perilous situations, swindle them out of half the paycheck and not even pay them half the time. What a wonderful thing to do if you're a dirtbag, greedy uh, SOB. Look, people don't hire people who are here illegally because they're compassionate. That's bunk. You hire people who are here illegally and, 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 and deprive Americans and lawful immigrants opportunities because you're the greediest SOB on the block. And the Chamber of Commerce stands shoulder to shoulder with the worst of the worst of the worst. They are ecstatic. I was at a hearing in Indiana where a representative of the Chamber of Commerce stood up there, and I couldn't believe what he said. He said, I've got the courage to tell you what no one else has the guts to tell you. As a member of the Chamber of Commerce, I want America flooded with every last day laborer, foreign worker, documented, undocumented, bring them all, we'll put them to work. They're great workers. They don't complain. They're the ones we want to hire. I almost fell down. We want to break the law and we want to get away with it, was the message. And the way you get away with it is make damn sure there's no immigration agents out there snooping around and creating problems for people who are exploiting the workers. That was the message of the Chamber of Commerce, and they are powerful. They own politicians lock, stock, and barrel. That's the reason why on 9-11 we had 26 visa waiver countries. There should have been zero visa waiver countries after 9-11, but because of the huge amounts of money, and God only knows how many millions, hundreds of millions were pumped into campaigns, those are bribes, folks. Let's be honest and accurate. We now have 38 visa waiver countries. There should be zero. How in the world do we go from 26 on 9-11 to 38 today? It's easy. You buy members of Congress, and too many of them are for sale. They need money to win elections, and that's all they give a damn about. Could you imagine if law enforcement officers operated the way politicians do? How many emails have you gotten in the last year imploring you to send money? Imagine if you got pulled over by a cop and the cop said to you, before I talk to you, sir, give me some money. Really? How quickly would you both wind up in jail? I mean, that's called bribery. That's called bribery. Give me money. I need money. I'm running. I have to win. I need money. And if you have no scruples and the Chamber of Commerce comes to you and says, Hey, Charlie, you want to be the new congressman from wherever it is? I'll help you. But here's what we want. And that's how the game gets played, that it's not a game, because people are dying, people are losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're losing their thin slice of the American dream that keeps getting thinner and thinner and more unattainable every single day of the week. Thank you, Chamber of Commerce. And they make no bones about it. If you hire ICE agents, the ICE agents will figure out who's hiring illegal aliens, they will find them, they might even prosecute them.
What's the antidote? No agents. No agents. If you hire agents, people will say, gee whiz, I might get caught if I run the border. It's not worth it. Well, what does that mean? Fewer people will come here. That's great for us, but terrible for immigration lawyers. They need those people to run the border because that's their clients. Do you think they want fewer clients? Why do you think they call them ambulance chasers? Immigration lawyers are coyote chasers. They're dying to see those people come across the border. So much so that immigration lawyers reportedly, reportedly, when the caravan was forming in Mexico up from Central America, guess who greeted them with the welcome wagon and went to Mexico to greet them? Immigration lawyers from the United States. Do you think immigration lawyers want more agents out there that might discourage clients, I mean illegal aliens, from coming to the United States? I get so confused. Sometimes the the term client, illegal alien, they they kind of get smushed together, you know? There's there's kind of a common thread that runs through all this. So really and truly, who actually wants to see immigration enforced? I mean, think of all the people that would suffer. Immigration lawyers, crooked politicians, um, unscrupulous employers, criminal defense attorneys who need more clients, and we keep importing more drugs and more drug dealers. And, And look how corrupt we've become. We have the worst heroin epidemic in the history of the United States. We had politicians like Governor Cuomo in New York saying we should never legalize marijuana because it's a gateway drug, and now he's calling for legalizing marijuana. Why would you legalize pot when we're trying to get people to not get hooked on drugs in the first place? Maybe not so much after all. That's where immigration comes in. That's where ICE comes in. Uh, By the way, if, if you don't like the idea of brothels and how women are trafficked, some underage, and the spread of venereal diseases, all that because of the brothels, There's a strategy that works very effectively. I was part of the strategy. We, immigration agents, used to accompany public moral squad, cops, detectives, NYPD. In the old days, when we weren't a sanctuary city, and we would raid the illegal gambling houses of Chinatown, we would raid the the gambling houses of the mob, and we would raid the brothels, public morals. Now, why did we do that? Well, many of the women were here illegally, but not all of them. But most of the clientele were here illegally. So even if they weren't arrested because they were the Johns who were becoming the customers for the prostitutes, we would arrest them for being here illegally. So Friday night, Saturday night, traditionally, that's the night these guys go out to party. They left their wives, they left their girlfriends back in their home country, Many of these guys were in the prime of life, you know, in their 20s. It's Friday night. What are you going to do? No girlfriend, no wife. They go to the brothels. And suddenly they were getting arrested and deported. So the word went out there. And we used to joke about it, actually. Uh, We would raid a brothel. We would take control of the buzzer, and we'd buzz all these guys in. And then they found out to their horror that they were being arrested. So the joke that we used to have back then was when we took that brothel and raided it, lots of guys got screwed, but none of them were having sex. That was the joke of the night, and everybody used to laugh about it. But we shut down quite a few of the brothels, because when you do it consistently enough, 
the word is out on the street that if you go near a brothel and you are in the United States illegally, you are going to get arrested. And it wasn't a big process. You were here. They used to have something called MASH. They would run a whole bunch of people through the court. I mean, what's your defense? I'm here illegally. I ran the border. Okay. The, you know, the, the whole idea of misusing political asylum, and Jeff Sessions and President Trump are right. Political asylum is supposed to be about people who can't go back to their country because of their race, religion, ethnicity, um, political belief, because they would face persecution or worse. Most of the people that are yelling asylum from Latin America aren't facing that issue. They're not facing problems because of their race, religion, or ethnicity, or political belief. They're trying to flee poverty. They're economic refugees. And then they throw in, well, we're afraid of MS-13. Well, they better not move to Long Island because MS-13 was on a rampage thanks to Obama letting in all of those hundreds of thousands of unaccompanied minors. Turned out many of them, not, I don't know what the percentage, but enough of them were members of MS-13 and other transnational gangs. You see? So that's the point to remember. This isn't political asylum. And what's so remarkable today, and this goes along with fake news, which really isn't fake news, it's propaganda designed to alter understandings of issues. Uh, you know, I always quote Orwell. George Orwell said, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. The idea is that by altering news reporting and misleading students about history, you can rewrite history and alter the trajectory of society because people don't know what the real history was so that they can't avoid repeating prior mistakes. That's the whole point to this. So uh, understand what Orwell was warning us about, and we're seeing it play out all the time with fake news. We're, so today, it was just remarkable. It was either today or yesterday, the announcement was that this is the anniversary of Anne Frank, who died in the Holocaust, of her father, not being able to come to America or even go to Cuba. This is the anniversary of the terrible day that the Nazis grabbed them. I have to tell you something, folks. This is amazing to me. Uh, I certainly am well-versed about Anne Frank. When I was in Europe many years ago on my honeymoon with my first wife, may she rest in peace, we visited Anne Frank House. It was chilling. We signed the guest book. It was very disturbing. My mother-in-law um, had, had been in a, in, in a concentration camp. Uh, my father-in-law lost his family to the Nazis. His brother was machine gunned. He was almost killed, managed to escape off one of those trains taking the people to the concentration camps, and he told me how he was running through the forest and bullets were hitting the trees all around him, how he heard the bullets whizzing past his head. So I, I'm familiar with Anne Frank, but I didn't realize what the anniversary was because no one ever talked about it. It's 70, I believe, 76 years now. Now, isn't it remarkable that I've never, ever, never heard anybody in the news talk about the anniversary of Anne Frank and her family being taken into custody, held hostage, abducted? I don't know what words to use. There's no words to describe the Holocaust or the, or the Nazi scum, Okay. But, but no one has ever made a point of telling us about the anniversary of when they were taken until now. Why? Well, the parallel is obvious.
America once again won't allow the immigrants into the United States. And then we had the wackaloon from from Africa who scaled the Statue of Liberty. Now I'm all about the First Amendment. This program, ladies and gentlemen, is about the First Amendment. I go on radio and TV and I stand in front of you know live audiences, better than dead audiences, I guess, as a matter of routine. I'm a big, big, big fan and proponent of the First Amendment of debate. I did debating in high school and college. I was going to teach debate on the college level. Had an opportunity to not come up for me to become a federal agent. I'm a great believer in debate. I'm a great believer in expressing your beliefs. But that doesn't give you the right to desecrate an American monument and damage it. And and Chuck Schumer should be agreeing with me because Chuck, a couple of years ago, proposed a five-year felony under federal law for trespassers, people who trespass on critical infrastructure and and landmarks. So certainly we, we should pass the Schumer law, I think. And if we did, that woman would be looking at five years in jail. And I bet if you called up Chuck Schumer, he would tell you how much he would love to see that woman in jail for five years. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. But anyway, so here's a woman who talk about biting the hand that feeds you. This is now, if you look at her record, this isn't the first time she's done it. She's launched a bunch of lawsuits. In one case, according to the newspaper, her lawyer walked away from her. I I wonder why that is. And talking about, you know, white supremacists. That statement in and of itself, to me, smells racist. I don't see people as being any kind of supremacist unless you declare yourself to be, and then that's an issue. We should be looking at each other as being fellow human beings, not white privilege or black this or green that or purple that. Certainly Martin Luther King did not want to see racial or color lines drawn. The whole point to the civil rights movement was to erase those color lines, wasn't it? So she's out there doing her thing, and where does she do her thing? At the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, yearning to breathe free, right? Well, that's rewriting history. Because if you look at Ellis Island, there was a very interesting documentary on public um, TV a couple days ago. I believe it was called Forgotten Ellis Island. Ellis Island was a massive quarantine station that had the biggest public health hospital in the United States at the time, 22 separate buildings. Thousands of people died there coming here from other countries. Children were taken from their parents. Families were separated. They didn't have antibiotics 100 years ago. So if a mama bear, papa bear, and four baby bears showed up, and Mama Bear or Papa Bear had a terrible disease, the family had a tough decision to make. Either they all go back to the home country or the family splits up, maybe never to see the family members again because somebody had to go home, the person who was sick. And there's another component to Ellis Island that nobody talks about, but the documentary spoke about it. It's very interesting. The first people, the people who really ran Ellis Island, Obviously, immigration inspectors, the job I did at the beginning of my career, and public health officials. And it's obvious they were very concerned about epidemics, and it makes sense. With no antibiotics, almost any contagious disease could kill lots of people. Very scary era. We, we, don't, take, we don't think about that today. You know, you run to the drugstore and you take an antibiotic. Of course, now we worry about resistant diseases, tuberculosis and so forth. Uh, again, raising the issue about quarantine uh, America 
to keep out people who might have a deadly disease. That's a reasonable concern. But here's the other reason that public health figured so prominently on Ellis Island. And I have to be honest, I thought I knew quite a bit about immigration. I didn't know this, and I bet you don't know it. Think about this. Why in the world were public health officials so concerned with the physical and mental health of aspiring immigrants, people who are coming to the United States to remain permanently. Ready for this one? To make certain that they could support themselves. If you couldn't support yourself, you were sent packing to your own home country. Major issue. If you look at the immigration laws, an alien who is likely to become a public charge unable to support himself is excludable. I don't remember the last time we excluded someone on a charge because in order to be declared a public charge, a city or state has to attempt to get the person to make payments, and only then is the person a public charge if he or she is unable to make payments. By not requiring that, it's almost impossible to deport somebody for being a public charge, but it's on the books, even if you come with a green card. If within five years of entry you become a public charge, you can be sent home. doesn't matter that you had a green card. You can't support yourself. We didn't want to import people who would burden us financially. Isn't that an interesting concept? But don't tell that to the people who keep screaming, give me your tired, your poor. Because they want to create this imagery that the Statue of Liberty would embrace anybody and everybody who showed up on our doorstep. And terrible as it was, and believe me, I'm not an advocate, um, we turned away people because of race, religion, ethnicity. Jews weren't particularly welcome. People from Eastern Europe weren't particularly welcome. Italians had a hell of a time of it. Uh, We had the problem with the Irish not being permitted in. All kinds of crazy stuff went on. Uh, We could probably talk about the Chinese exclusion laws. We got past all those. We learned our lessons of history. That's why learning the lessons of history is so damn important. And when you look at what Orwell warned about, who controls the past, controls the the future, who controls the future, controls the past, he warned about people rewriting history and generating false news to confound understandings of the issues of the day. Otherwise, you can't learn from history's mistakes. Um, Goodness, I, I can't think of the, uh, the uh, writer, the playwright, who said that we learn from history, we learn nothing from history. Well, that's particularly true, folks, when the news media refuses to live up to its, what should be high standard of, of truth and morality. How can you learn history's lessons if you're not even being told the truth about history? Ellis Island was a quarantine station. It led to the separation of families. It led to the deaths of lots of people who couldn't be treated here properly. Some were treated and were able to stay because it was determined they could work, and some were treated and stabilized, and they said, well, we've done as much as we can, now you're getting back on the boat and going home. That's the real Ellis Island, not the Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island was a TV series. Ellis Island, not so much. 
but the open borders immigration anarchists would not want you to know this. Because then it would sound as though, well, gee whiz, even back then we were careful about who we admitted. Maybe the reasons that we did certain things were screwed up, no argument. But let's learn the lessons of history. But you see, they don't want you to know the lessons of history because it runs contrary to this carefully manufactured narrative that, frankly, both sides want you to believe, whether it's George Soros or the Koch brothers. It's the people at the very tippy top of the food chain, the economic food chain, who are calling the shots. We don't live in a republic, folks. We live in an oligarchy. Bill Gates gets what he wants. Alan Greenspan gets what he wants. Their playmates get what they want. They want open borders. So they tell you, oh, the system is broken. This is the best con scam in the world. It's like going to a mechanic and the guy punches a hole in your engine and tells you about all the things that he has to do to fix the engine that he broke. And then he sends you the bill and, oh, my God, hold on to your wallet. If you went to the members of Congress, the globalists, and said to them, I have a boat and I have a hole in the bottom of my boat, they would probably tell you that the solution to the hole in the bottom of your boat is to drill many more holes as quickly as you can to let the water out. I kid you not. And that's what you're hearing every time they stand there and say, oh, the immigration system is broken. Oh, we're a nation of immigrants. Oh, my gosh, it's, it's terrible to separate families. Look at history. Look at Ellis Island. Look at the truth. Look at the truth. Yes, there's nothing good about separating children from their parents if they're really the parents, unless the parents are terrible parents and pose a threat to the safety and survival of the children. But again, I want to know, with all of the breastfeeding about the children being separated from parents, providing these suffering children with psychologists because they're scarred for life. Why isn't anyone doing that for American children? Go into America's minority communities where poverty and violence run rampant. How many of those kids are in foster care? How many of those kids have been traumatized by those life experiences? Are they sending them to psychologists or bringing psychologists into those tough neighborhoods to help those kids cope with their situations? Absolutely not, because they are Americans and they are expendable. They are expendable. We want to attract foreign workers who will work for substandard wages under substandard dangerous conditions, and Americans won't do that. So why would you go into a tough neighborhood and take smart kids who are living in poverty and help boost them out of poverty? because then they might expect a living wage. And that is not what the likes of Zuckerberg and Gates and all these other megalomaniacs want. They want cheap, compliant labor. And that's the narrative or the motivation behind the narrative that permeates the media today. You know, we have to bring in the world's best and brightest because our schools are failing. Listen, we're turning out some pretty good engineers in American schools right now. My kids are a couple of them. The problem is that reading scores are down and math scores are down, not because American kids are idiots or the schools aren't teaching them math and science, 
but because you have so many millions of kids in our schools who can't read or write English that they are pulling down the numbers, which helps to perpetuate the myth that we're a bunch of dummies and need to import foreign workers and foreign students. If our schools are so lousy, why do we have hundreds of thousands of foreign students from India and China and elsewhere learning the STEM curriculum in the United States, science, technology, engineering, and math? The reason is our schools do a damn good job of teaching the subjects. It's just that the politicians, the political and economic elite, don't want American kids in the schools. The dumber they can make us, the more they can bring in more foreign people to work in America who will accept much lower wages without 401k plans and health care and so forth, the happier they are even if we compromise national security by educating our adversaries. And I've written about that for Front Page Magazine. We're being scammed. And now you have the anarchists who are out there, and there was this one group, and one American news reported on them, called the um, Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council here in New York City, calling for the termination of ICE. Calling for the termination of ICE. I want you to think about what that means. Without ICE, national security would be undermined. There would be no way of stopping a human tsunami of people coming across the border knowing that once they get past the border, nothing will happen to them except they will get everything that they want. They will immediately file applications with no ICE agents to do the investigations. Every application would be automatically approved. No questions asked because it's the agents who would ask the questions. Immigration lawyers would make more money than ever before, and America could collapse because you would be bringing in so many foreign workers, infrastructure couldn't deal with the onslaught. Schools, hospitals, mass transit, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. But the people at the top of the food chain who are in a feeding frenzy, well, folks, literally and figuratively, they would be making out like bandits. That is what has to stop. Any politician who calls for the termination of ICE needs to have his or her career terminated in the voting booth. Elections are coming November. Don't just agree with me. Make sure you vote. Make sure you talk to your neighbors about the real implications of the destruction of ICE because it's a suicide pact. It's a suicide pact that no rational American ought to be signing on for. Anyway, I uh, thank you for uh, spending the last hour with me. I hope you find it informative, thought-provoking, interesting. If you do, please tell as many of your friends and neighbors and fellow workers and family members about my program, about my website, michaelcutler.net, and please make certain that you get involved. You know, I always make the point democracy is not a spectator sport. It's not just words. Those are words to live by. We live in a perilous era. America's borders are its first and last line of defense, and we need to have some courage, some chutzpah, to stand up for what's right, not just for ourselves, folks, but for our children and for our, ch- our children's children. Um, political activism today really is an element of good parenting. Hope you have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you again at the same time, at the same place, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week.